Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, out loud, chapter by chapter. It's been really cool. We're going through this last part of the book of Exodus, and we're just seeing here how all these instructions on the worship life of Israel— it really speaks to us today, and it's a beautiful picture of what God has done for his people, and not just how, oh, it was like the priests stealing the show, and it was all concentrated and hierarchical. It's not, that's not the point. The point is seeing this picture of Jesus in these chapters, and today in Exodus 29, that's what we've got, this consecration of the priests, this idea that the priest is to be holy, and there's this process for making holy which is what Jesus Christ our Lord does for us. So uh, we'll be looking at something in particular, too, this laying on of hands, a tradition that we actually still have to this day, uh, though the details are a little different. (laughs) We'll get to that in just a minute. Joining us today, we have got as our guest, one of our regulars, we've got Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? And also the brothers and sisters there out there with you in Frona. I am well, thank you very much, Pastor Espinoza. We are doing nicely here. We had a heavy rainstorm and some thunder storms and disruptions yesterday, so some of our phone service is a bit flaky, um, which means somewhere during the middle of this service of broadcast, I may have to switch yeah. phones, but anyway, yeah. just be aware. That, uh, okay. Folks yeah. out here are doing well. We are, again, blessed by the rain. We had been without yeah. rain for a yeah, about a week. So now this is this is good. The Lord's the Lord's blessing the the crops and the harvest. Everybody got their hay in, and now they can watch yeah. the corn and the beans grow. So that's good. Yeah, very, very good. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for the the heads up. We'll we'll just uh, if, if all of a sudden uh, we just we just hear silence, I, I won't take that as um, that you, that you've been stumped. Um, I don't presume that that will happen in any case. But uh, yeah, I'll be also just looking, and uh, <clears throat> it'll be fine too if you need to uh, connect with a, a different phone or something like that. They'll be ready for for you to reconnect. But uh, yeah, thanks for that, and glad to hear that. Uh, you guys are doing doing well out there. And yeah, looking here at Exodus chapter 29, uh, you know, these these ceremonial and sacrificial processes, you know, like I, I, th- I feel like sometimes um, there's there's been a division that a lot of people have used. They'll, they'll break things down into ethical and, and ceremonial uh, law. And sometimes they'll add like some different categories, moral law, right? And they'll like, kind of break, break things down. Um, and, and then so they'll say, oh, this is ceremonial stuff, so oh, it does, all doesn't matter. But, I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff in here, isn't there? I mean, that has theological and even moral implications. All kinds of positive pictures for Christ's work for us. And also the, the whole understanding that God is doing a, a preparation for our benefit so that we have access to him. This is the key thought with the priesthood, is that God provides access to his grace for the people of Israel, and then, of course, through the great high priest Jesus for all people. But God's the one providing access. That's the key thought here. Thank you for emphasizing that, too. We keep seeing that, that it's God doing this stuff for these people's benefit. And as you said, uh, that's gracious, and that means that this is uh, not legalism, but there's a lot of gospel in this, consequently, too. So I, I, I love that we keep seeing that again and again. Um, without any further ado, 
let's turn to the text. And as we get started, brother, would you open this up with a prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Good is God. You have provided to us that which we need in this world. We thank you for the gift of food, of water, of shelter and clothing, the gifts of the created world into which you've placed us. We thank you also that you provide for us access to your mercy and grace through the created world that is shown to us first in the work you gave the priests in the Old Testament as they served at the tabernacle and later at the temple, but also in the body and blood of Jesus, who on the cross gave his physical life for our spiritual guilt because of his perfect love for us, he was able to cover all sin. As we consider your word today and see the way in which you have arranged for sin to be covered, we give you thanks and praise that that covering continues to this very day through Jesus' gifts to his people. Open the eyes of all to see Jesus and open our ears to hear your word, that your love is known among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. So we're looking here at Exodus chapter 29. We have, this follows now. In the last two chapters, we looked at the, the garments for Aaron and his sons. We talked about what an ephod is. We talked about in the chapter before that the, the layout of the tabernacle with the courtyard, the holy place, the holy of holies. Um, what, what should we be keeping in mind from the context, or are there any key terms or anything like that before we give this thing a straight read through, things to help us uh, kind of keep everything in mind and get the big picture as we read it through? Well, there are a couple of thoughts that come to my mind. One of them you mentioned briefly, and that's the, the use of hands. Yeah. God's, God's hand is involved here, and he uses first the hands of Moses, and then it will be through the hand of Aaron. And yep. always God is saying, you must bring to me and place, I place in your hands, and then through the right avenue, you return to me that which is asked for. The other thing that, that's vitally important is to recognize that the priests are prepared for service and that there is a consecration time that is imitated in our New Testament reference to the week of Passover and Jesus' resurrection. And that's hmm. that there is a seven-day period of wearing the clothing before carrying out the service, in hmm. the same way that Jesus served us for that one week of, of his passion, and then redemption was brought to us in his resurrection on the eighth day. That, that eighth-day repetition constantly yeah. in the Old Testament is evident in this section today, too. And it's, it's also reflected, of course, in our baptism, and, and uh, the New Testament doesn't give us these details, but the early Christian Church made use of the same sequence in the, what's referred to as the Easter Vigil, and we'll talk a little yeah. bit about that, too. Those are, I think, both really helpful. Thinking about the use of hands, and that when you see hand, that's that's a really important term in Hebrew. Big idea. And then, yeah, what you're saying about time, not not having that be lost on us, because um, those those lengths of time, uh, very very meaningful symbolism. Yeah, I think those are both both really good to keep in mind. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that in more detail once we get through it. For now, let's go ahead and turn to the text. This is Exodus chapter 29 here in the English Standard Version. Now, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. 
Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus shall you ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the, right, on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and his garments, sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of leavened bread that's before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It's a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that's waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that's contributed from the ram of ordination from what was Aaron's and his son's. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it's a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as a priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister to the holy place, shall wear them seven days. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. 
And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that's in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but an outsider shall not eat of them, because they are holy. And if any of the flesh for the ordination or of the bread remain until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten, because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and shall anoint it and consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. You know, it, it's interesting. I, you know, just, just reading through it again, what was, what was occurring to me was actually all the similarities here in Exodus chapter 29 to Exodus chapter 20 with the giving of the Ten Commandments that, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of important similarities here. I mean, just, just in terms of the language, um, you know, like, I, sure. I am the Lord their God. I am the Lord their God. That's like an echo, um, you know, brought them out of the land of Egypt. That's like kind of an echo or like a corresponding, uh, like, parallel of all the language and how, how the Ten Commandments started out. And, and and like the Ten Commandments where you you have, this is kind of the— the beginning of the law, the summary of the law, mm-hmm. um, not not all of it, but but kind of like you know just condensed in, in the in the most important part of it. Uh, th- this is sort of the Ten Commandments almost of the whole sacrificial system. I mean, like it's not just even the ordination of Aaron, just kind of like here's our our planning for your your ordination day, right? But but it's right. uh, the institution of the morning and evening sacrifices of the entire priesthood. I mean, this is uh, th- this is really big. Um, uh, and, and maybe not Ten Commandments big, but, I mean, right next to it. Well, I think it, it is probably at one level equivalent to the Ten Commandments in that, and again, here's our, our Lutheran understanding of the Word of God, that the Ten Commandments have the function of law only. They are not meant hmm. to be a reconciliation with God. But this section with the priest and the sacrifice and the offering, that's all gospel. There's no law here. It's a command given to enact the gospel for the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And, and so as we look at, you know, there's, yes, there are, do this, follow these, these this shall be a, a pattern that you'll follow, a uh, statute, so to speak, uh, from now until the end of your existence as a people. But this is the gospel enactment. This is where God is saying, the commandments I gave you before, and by the way, 
some Lutheran theologians are careful to point out that those those law statements in Exodus 20 are not given in the imperative form. They're they're given in the form that says, "Because I am your God, this is the way you will live." Yeah, that's right. But but they they also point out our failure to live as as holy people. And so now mm. what we have here is the gospel corrective, if you will, to our inability to live as God's people under the law. God provides a covering for our sin. And and the words that occasionally show up here as, as a sin offering, right. it, it's also a word that could be used to be a sin removal offering, or a, mm. as Luther once translated it, I believe, descending offering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he, well, no, that, that that's really... Yeah, no, that, that's really good. And, and, and of course, as you point out, it, it's not to say that Exodus 20 is devoid of gospel, as we saw when we no, went over it. It's really, there's a lot of gospel. I mean, just that first statement, just like you were saying, you know, I, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt, uh, out of the land of slavery. And that's a gospel statement, right? Um, but like, like you were saying, um, in those Ten Commandments, there is inevitably the the recognition that that we that we fail and and this is the provision the gracious restoration uh, for f- that failure um and and, and so mm-hmm. in that way yeah I, I do i do see uh this complementarity like you were saying here and it is really interesting just the way that this uh atonement is is uh pictured and carried out here because it, it's not it's it, it let me put it this way i mean this this is not just kind of the standard this is how we do sin offerings all the time um i remember like when we were reading numbers typically mm-hmm. you have a, a goat as a sin offering that goes along with everything but here you've got a bull that that yeah. does the sin offering and, and not only do we have that but there's this really interesting moment where um you know they lay their hands on this uh this what was it ram i think um, mm-hmm. and, and then and then they they cut the ram to pieces. So like the 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 way that sin is being dealt with here is, um, I I, I think it's kind of in a way that kind of establishes the whole system. But it, it, it's really big here, and it's done in a kind of unique way. This isn't the way that it's going to be done. Um, you know, every single day from here on out. No, there's this this particular portion where they are boiling flesh. And his sons eat the flesh of the room, but no one else eats it. Now, yeah, yeah. Other, yeah, in the other offerings, there is a, a communal aspect, but this one is much more the, what can I say, the setting aside of the priests to be in that role of consecrated to God's service for the good of others, not yeah. because the priests are special. And that's, you know, that's important to understand yeah. that it's because God does something with them, not because they have a personal category. Yeah, no, that's right. And that really complements what we were looking at yesterday in chapter 28, that, you know, when when the priest, the high priest goes into that most holy place, it's not as if, well, only Aaron is good enough to go into the most holy place. No, it's it's Mm -hmm. not like that. But what we saw, um, if I want to say it was around, um, it was around verse 30, yeah, 29, there was in the previous chapter, chapter 28. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place, um, mm-hmm. bringing, to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So th- there's this idea that all the people, all 12 tribes are being brought before the Lord and in, in this representative function. And so because of that, 
this isn't this isn't just dealing with the sins of um you know Aaron as a, as a guy you know just Aaron as you right. know the brother of Moses mm-hmm. you know just Aaron is this individual um uh, but th- this this sin offering that's happening here is is really for the entire people um which 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 is of course really kind of interesting that there's going to be this bull that's offered for the sin of the people and then a couple of chapters we're going to have the whole people fall into sin with a bull um yeah. but <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of weird, but um, but yeah, but let, let, let's take a look. I mean, speaking of the bull, let's look at some of this stuff in okay. in detail here. So the uh, the offering that's described in the beginning here in verse one, two, you've got one bull, two rams, and then this assortment of these uh, fine wheat flour, unleavened uh, bread cakes, and and, and these sorts mm-hmm. of things. So. Uh, what's the significance of this being the the offering that's presented here? This is coming from and when when we think about it right now is as this running through my mind yesterday, this thought that they're in the wilderness and they're gonna have fine wheat flour. They're not growing it anywhere. They can't <laughs> grow it anywhere. They're they're going to have to procure it somehow. Yeah. This they will they will have still brought with them from Egypt initially, so that it can be used at this point in time. But later, when they need to carry out these sacrifices, it's going to take effort to get the material together to follow God's instruction. And it's it's not meant to be easily done. It's meant to be possibly followed. And and the, the ram from the herd, one bull of the herd, two rams without blemish, something that the people have with them already, but from God's provision. And as we look at the the awareness that it's it's the whole people offering something, even in the consecration of the priest, the priest himself doesn't provide it. God provides it through the, the flocks and herds of the of the people, and and of course the fine wheat as I mentioned comes from God's provision too. But right. but the fact that there is a a specific sequence where. It's not an everyday activity. You have to get special stuff to do these things. Makes us yeah. realize that God's taking special effort here. Yeah, no, that and that's really helpful. And, and truth, I wasn't even thinking about the fine wheat flour, but yeah, you're right. I mean, like they're not they're not in agriculture mode right now. They're they're not in. Um, hey, we've got a wheat field over here mode out there mm-hmm. in the wilderness. So, I mean that that is going to be a challenge. Of course, I, I'm sure that they. I'm sure that they, well, I mean, it's interesting. Earlier in Exodus, there is this comment that they couldn't make provisions for themselves. Um, the comment sort of seems to be like they didn't have enough time to, like, cook anything. But, I mean, I mm-hmm. imagine that they had some dried wheat somewhere. Uh, but, but yeah, like you were saying, you know, it, it's not like they, they had an, an unlimited supply. And, and this is a, a sumptuous feast here, right? I mean, like a bull, Two rams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, all of this. We don't appreciate this, but uh, you know, most meals in the ancient world um, for these, you know, uh, agrarian societies did not have meat at them. You know, and we're just sort of like, well, it's not a meal unless I got my my burger or my steak and eggs. I mean, we're like so yeah. used to like mm-hmm. animal product, like just boom there uh, off the assembly line. But I mean, you know, you go to Africa and they'll tell you, yeah, yeah, we, Hey, we eat meat. Yeah. Like I, I think I had some meat back on, on Easter or maybe Christmas, you know, I mean like it's, it's sort of, it's a big deal. So that this is this yeah. very special meal and a meal with God 
I, I think really is the key significance. I want to talk about that the meal with God side of it when we get back. We have to take our break now, but everybody hang on. We're looking at Exodus chapter 29 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. When I look at the x-ray of your funny bone, it seems that everything is a-okay. Medical research has proven laughter helps you both emotionally and physically. Wrestling with the basics on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. are on demand. We've been putting the fun in the fundamentals for over 30 years. Over 30 years? Oh, don't put too much strain on your funny bone. Nine out of ten doctors agree. It's less painful than getting a flu shot. I don't like it. Oh, yuck. Hello. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Exodus chapter 29 today, the consecration of Aaron and his sons. And we were just talking about how, uh, to kick everything all off here, there is this this offering, which is to be a feast, and it really is a feast here. Um, And, and, you know, there's a mention that, you know, if anything is left over, you're going to have to burn it in the morning, because I'm pretty sure Aaron and his sons aren't going to be able to eat it all. (laughs) This is, uh, this is is a, uh, you know, this is the, like, Cracker Barrel, like, what do they call it? Like, the the big country, I mean, there's that one where it's, like, loosen your belt here. Uh, Yeah, so, like, what's the significance of feasting with God. Joining us today, we have one of our uh, returning guests. We've got Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri. If you've got a question for me or Pastor Tice, give us a call if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727. You can also call local if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Also, you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Or you can hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Uh, put your questions in there. We've got one already, and we'll get to that in just a second here. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Their website is lhfmissions.org. Thank you, Lutheran Heritage Foundation, for your support of Thy Strong Word. So uh, where were we, brother? We were talking about, yeah, this this big meal 
And there's this mm-hmm. description um, that that's yeah this this is this is a feast here, and you you, you kind of get the rest of this um, when you when you scroll it down here, and it's yeah so yeah so it's in it's in verse thirteen then that we get a little bit of description of okay so like how are we going to eat all this, <laughs> and and it says in particular right the fat that covers the entrails the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys mm-hmm. with the fat that's on them burn them on the altar and and i feel like this is one one of these <laughs> moments where our our modern uh, sensibilities and sensitivities are going to be a little bit different from what they were thinking because i think we're thinking sure. to ourselves like of course you should just burn the long lobe of the liver and the kidneys and the entrails like who wants to eat that but i i think it's kind of the opposite idea here <laughs> like what what do you make of the instructions on, on what they're supposed to do with the different pieces here well, part of what's going on, of course, is that these are the fatty parts, and yeah. and they are they are excellent for burning, for lack of a better label. But <laughs> um, the the Lutheran Study Bible indicates, and uh, those who have studied the the Egyptian culture and the and the practices of the worship at that time, point out that these objects had been used by other cultures as a way of trying to perceive God's intention for His people, and and in this case. Really, what God does is He precludes that possibility of even happening. He says hmm. those will be destroyed immediately, so that you can't possibly think that the way to make contact with Me is read the entrails, you know, cast uh, cast the ruins, all the other things that people do over the years that have tried to find God's truth. And God says, "I'm going to communicate with you in another way." The other the other thing about this, uh, from my perspective. You know, growing up, I remember when when uh, we would butcher uh, every year. We had a, a calf, uh, yeah. so that we'd have meat in the fall. Uh, like you said earlier, having meat yeah. was pretty normal for all of us then. But I remember specifically that the kidneys and the liver were saved and treated as a delicacy. Yeah. Now, in that sense, God is saying, "Give to me the the prime parts." The Native American cultures that were on the Great American Plains that hunted the bison, one of the primary sources of immediate energy, iron, for them when they would butcher was the the liver. They would often eat the liver raw. Yeah. So what we have here is a a way of saying what those who live in that culture might identify as the primary usable parts. Those go to God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's uh, well, and, and of course the bit from the the study Bible. I mean, that is that is interesting, right? You, you think of uh, the different kinds of um, divination that these different cultures engaged in. That that's true. So there might be kind of a, like a bonus application, but I mean, I do think it is interesting that I mean, uh, like you were saying, when we when we appreciate how in traditional culture these were not the yucky parts, but the best parts, right? I mean, yeah, and also just, I mean, even from a, like a scientific perspective, like modern times, like look, look at the the meat that's on a, that's on a bull, right? Where's the highest uh, percentage of all the iron, all the vitamin A, right? Like, I mean, just all the different vitamins, right? It's like, it's the liver. The, the liver is like number one, and then the kidneys, and, and then the rest of the organs. That's 
all the most nutrient-dense stuff. And, 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 it, and there's a practical reason for why it's been prized in traditional cultures, right? I mean, it's this, this small part. If you, if you slaughter a bull, not everyone's going to get to have all that, you know? Uh, so if you get it, you're get, you're getting uh, you know you're getting the the big part of the wishbone here. So I mean it's uh, it's I think I think there is a really big idea there that yeah the best part is going to God. And in fact, um, I remember telling my wife this once. But like you look kind of throughout the Old Testament, and when they they have an idiom for like the best part of something they just say the fat part of something i mean it's just yeah. <laughs> they're synonymous here so like the, yeah. these fatty parts it's like god gets like the 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 first best cuts right and um mm-hmm. and then aaron and his sons they're they're going to get to eat with god and they're going to have some good stuff too um but but not the very best and then the part that's the yucky part right it says here um, ironically, right when it comes to the bull, anyway, uh, which yeah. is just the the flesh and the skin and the dung that gets burned outside the camp, right? So that's not the stuff that God's eating. The stuff that you know God's oh. you know eating, so to speak, is is only the best of what we have to offer. Yeah, and and this particular animal, the bull, is the sin or the removal of sin offering, if you will, and so it's completely destroyed. It's all gone. There's no sin left to cover anymore. The offering is all gone, and the sin is all gone with it. And this is, especially in the consecration of the priesthood, is to recognize that God says, these people I count as wholly able to stand in my presence because I have covered all their sin. And, and I think this is vitally important for the Christian church as well, that God makes arrangement for us to receive complete covering of sin, in the sacrifice, of course, of his son. But now as the church today appoints pastors to publicly proclaim the word and publicly to bring forgiveness, it's because the sacrifice is already made. It's not the man. It's the Mm -hmm. announcement that the sacrifice is already made. That's right. Go ahead. The other thing jumps out at me in this process, and we'll come right back to what you're about to say in a moment is the idea you said earlier about meat. The New Testament passages, especially where Jesus says the reign of God or the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gives a banquet for his son and says, come, the fatted calf is killed, the roast meat is ready. The yeah. big deal is it was around meat. Yeah. And in our culture, we miss so much of those things. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, no, that, that's, uh, that's, that's really well said, right? Like, this, this isn't just, uh, you know, hey, like, you know, here's something I picked up on the way home, right? No big deal. Uh, this, right. this, is a, this is an occasion here, especially that we'd be, you know, slaughtering not even just, like, one bull, but, like, as if that weren't enough, we're going to do these two rams also here, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so I, I think that that idea that um, there's this bull for this sin offering— uh, like you were saying, where the, the whole thing ends up getting burned, which, as you were saying, kind of connects to this idea of, um, uh, you know, the, the, sin, the sin is removed, you know, the, the de-sinning, you might say, right? Um, and and mm-hmm. then you get this uh, this other part here where then the, there's this ram, right? One of the rams gets uh, burned as a, it says here, as, as a burnt offering. And then this other ram here, that's the part that gets shared. So, like, there's these different kinds of offerings, all these, and, and they each sort of have um, the, this different significance. I want to talk about 
th- this middle one too, because uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's true that with both the both the first ram and with the bull, everything gets burnt up. But they have different symbolic significance. Like the, the, bur- the the bull gets gets burned up, part outside the camp, part um, before God, the best part before God. But with this mm-hmm. with this ram here, right? Um, Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, but they're not ordaining the ram. <laughs> kind of like you, no. you, using the term sin, like uh, de-sinning. It's sort of like they're like de-ordaining the ram. I mean, it's like the opposite, right? Like, and Because mm-hmm. after that, the ram gets cut to pieces and the blood gets thrown on the sides of the altar. What, what is, what's the symbolism here? Well, this, this is pleasing to the Lord because sin is covered ultimately by that which has life in it, which is blood. And going back to Genesis, where God gives instruction to Noah and his family, when he gives people meat to eat, he says, don't eat the blood, because in the blood is its life. But what God is now doing is, in the enactment of this sacrifice, it is the blood which has life that is now set aside or thrown onto the altar to bring life to God's people. And and this is a life of peace with God. It is a an aroma of pleasure to God when you burn this particular item. And as you know, we look at these different terms: burnt offering, or an offering by fire. It, it's a pleasing aroma. This concept that God is pleased to receive the covering for sin and the blood of life points us first to Jesus whose blood covers the sins of all people, but secondly, to God's desire to have a positive relationship with his people and the fact that they're enacting the ritual commanded by God means that in love and and desire to follow him, they're doing exactly what he said to keep this relationship alive by God's grace, of course, and so it pleases him. The the idea that this is done out of joyful service and obedience rather than fear and trepidation. We have to keep in mind the idea that this is done out of faith in the heart rather than a insistence on following the rules. And, you know, that Old Testament worship wasn't following the rules nearly as much as it was, at least initially, living in the relationship God's given you by his arrangement. Uh, Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and, And we see elsewhere, too, how uh, you know, Israelites would offer these burnt offerings. I mean, at, at times it was like just a part of the ceremony or it was the thing that would, was expected. But, I mean, they would offer these uh, burnt offerings freely. It was just, a, just a, as you were saying, an expression of faith that would symbolize um, not, not so much before with the sin offering that, like, sin is being uh, atoned for, but in this case that, that something is being devoted to God, right? It's an expression of devotion, right? And that kind of joyful and willing devotion. So it, it just, it struck me then as a little bit in, incongruous at first, right? That if it's this kind of expression of joyful devotion and um, in, in this, yeah, this voluntary willing uh, devotion to God, right? Uh, not a sin offering. Then, then why is it that they lay their hands on this ram, and then the ram gets cut to pieces? Because in particular, right, you think about how um, different different things are, are cut into pieces. Uh, you, you think of, for instance, with Abraham when he cuts the covenant with God. He cuts these animals to pieces, mm-hmm. and he lays half of them on one side and half on the other, and walks between them. And it's a 
I mean, it's a symbol of how, I mean, on this kind of basic level, we know this from um, other cultures too, that the idea is sort of like, this is a picture of me. Should I go back on my word here? Right. I mean, it's, it's this way of saying like, may I be cut to pieces if, if I don't keep my end of this agreement that we're making here. So, so like, what, what do you think the significance here is with the cutting to pieces in particular? Well, I, the thought came to me that one of the things Jesus says to his disciples is yeah. if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And, you know, we don't hear the word take up your cross nearly as powerfully as the disciples would have heard it. That's a form of public execution and shame. Right. So what we have here is a statement that says, I will, for lack of a better label, dismember my life and reoffer it in service to God according to his design rather than my design. Now, whether anybody else would go that direction, I don't know. But, you know, it's like Jesus yeah. said about it's here for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So we hear those words and say, what is he talking about? He's talking about the idea that this is not humanly designed and it can't be done under human plan. But if you willingly, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, submit to the Lord's plan, even though it might seem to take your life apart, it actually brings life. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I think I think you're right that this is actually a little bit of a picture of what's going on with, with them. Um, and and all, you see that also, too. It's a very particular detail. It says, and wash its entrails and its legs, right? And now why would you wash those two things? And again, thinking about the words of our Lord Jesus when he was washing his disciples' feet, um, and of course, Peter, you know, after he's... Uh, you know, protested, and then he gets convinced, and he's like, well, then not just my feet, but, you know, all of me from my head to my toes, right? And then Jesus, mm-hmm. our Lord, says, well, well, you know, Peter, it's okay. All I need to do is wash your feet, because you guys know if you, if you wash your feet, then you are entirely clean. So I, I think there's this idea of um, if the legs are washed, then they are wholly clean on the outside. If the entrails are washed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and that's that's an interesting word because it's actually used in connection too to human emotions and 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 our deepest um the deepest parts of our of ourselves, right? And it kind of, we talk this way too sometimes when we say something like you know you know I just I know in my gut you know we'll, we'll say something right. like that for the things that we. We just we we know most with, with the most uh, you know certainty. So I think there's this idea that it's a little bit of a picture of them that like every piece of them is to be devoted to God entirely, inside and out. Um, you know, and just as they are about to have hands laid on them, and they're mm-hmm. laying their hands on this ram, um, not not to not to say like you know hey like this this ram is. You know, like I, I mean, I don't know, priest ram or something like that now, but 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 as a way of kind of uh, the complementary picture, I mean, may, maybe as far as like you know, may we be cut to pieces should we fail to you know like live as live as priests, which is sort of in a way what ends up happening to Nadab and Abihu. Um, yeah. But I mean, or 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 it could just simply be you know, hey, you know, this is this is what we are doing because this is kind of the uh, this is kind of a mirror. Uh, of what's of what's going on here, because uh, th- this is kind of an interesting point too. In verse twenty, right? Uh, it's not just stopping there, but you take the blood and you put it on the right tip of his uh, Aaron's mm-hmm. ear and, and his son's ears, and then on their uh, their thumbs, their right thumbs, and on their right big mm-hmm. toes, right? And uh, 
I mean, I don't know if that happened at your ordination, but that seems like it has some kind of particular <laughs> meaning, though. <laughs> yeah, and it, uh, the the things that obviously come to my mind is is God's words to Moses and to Joshua: "Take off your shoes; the place you are standing is holy ground." Well, obviously, every time they enter the the tabernacle, it's inner inner tent. Um, that's holy ground because God has set it aside. But the other thing is. It starts at the top, and it goes all the way through what's heard from the Lord, what's served with the hand, and where they walk. All things are covered with the blood that makes them special to the Lord. And and another way of saying this is, the Lord has made the priests his, and they are consecrated to him, so that they can be, for the people, the representative of God's love to the people. And, And the other the other thought that um, came to my mind was later on when we hear about punishment being brought to kings who were put into captivity, they cut off their thumbs and cut off their big toes. Yeah. Because you're, you're limited in, in how you can lead a rebellion if you can't take a weapon, and you can't run if you've lost the balance of your big toe. So God is reorienting the balance and the service of the priesthood by marking their ears and their thumbs and their, their big toes with the blood that sets them apart for service to him. They're no longer serving themselves or their own advancement, but rather serving God's whole people as those marked with the blood, setting them apart for service. Yeah, I, th- I think so. There's this idea of, of of power and leadership, like you were saying, I mean, kind of corresponding to that practice of cutting off those things on on a captured mm-hmm. king, right? Like, oh, well, you're not going to be king anymore. Uh, especially in that ancient understanding of uh, seeing a king as a representative of God. And so if, if this blood is getting put on their, their ears and their hands and their feet, especially their right ear and their right hand and their right foot, right? Mm-hmm. This is—you uh, have this language, too. Um, I think we saw it in connection to the Red Sea, even, what God has done with his right hand, right? There's, 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 there's sure. this idea— that this is the hand that you use um, for these authoritative purposes, right? You can you know, you use your left hand for everyday stuff, right? To like balance things, carry books. I mean, you know, whatever you're you're lifting something heavy, right? But the right hand is the one that is the symbol of of authority, and so this idea that their their right ear and their right thumb and their right toe isn't really their own anymore, but it's God's own ear and hand and toe so that Mm -hmm. when they when they uh, think about that right when they hear something it's like god hears it i mean similar to like if if a pastor hears a confession right it's god hearing that confession or or if they're if their hand if they do something it's as if god does something in the same way that you know they're going to lift their hands in blessing and it's going to be god blessing the people not a man or if they go somewhere Right, it's it's not simply that there's mm-hmm. a guy who has shown up, but God has shown up in that person. I, I mean, I, I think it really is um, very important. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, certainly, I, well, it would have been a humbling experience for me if that had happened at my ordination. But I mean, like, th- there's the idea, though, right? It, again, just like yeah. the same thing with the clothes, that it shows that the important thing is not the man, but that he's representing God, and God is is listening and acting and going places through these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think your your comment there about it's not the man is tied especially to the garments that are worn by the, the high priest in particular, but all the priests. They're wearing special clothing that no one else wears, 
and they're wearing that clothing to say, these are set apart for service to God. These are now God's own people, if you will. Yeah. And part of this dismembering of the ram and washing it clean is, in addition to showing that the priests have to be cleaned inside and out, it also says now they are wholly devoted to God. They can't go anywhere without being God's representative, even when, strange as it might seem, they're not carrying out an official function because they are servants committed to God. And I think for us as pastors, if you read through some of the early Christian writings, they're very yeah. clear about this, that the, the, the one who holds the office of pastor, even when not carrying out official functions, still in the community is seen as a representative of the church. And this is, you know, it's a great responsibility to carry. And at the same time, it's important to remember that it's not me as a person. It's the office I, I hold. And when I die, I don't hold that office anymore. But as a yeah. baptized believer in Jesus Christ, we all carry this priesthood. And, and so we have this special relationship with God that we are in service to him. And, and when Jesus makes this, this comparison or this, this statement that he sends his disciples out and he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, we are told that the church in the world carries the function of people in service to God on behalf of others. And so we continue to do that today. That's, um, that, that is really well put. And that's something that we, I don't, I don't think we actually talk about it enough, but especially in our, you know, 21st century Western culture, we, we tend to, we, we, we say things like, yeah, you know, I wear a lot of hats or like, okay, I'm going to put my, my dad hat on right now, or I'm going to put my, right. you know, mm -hmm. uh, lawyer hat on. Right. And, and we kind of have this, this metaphor of like, we put on different hats and take off different hats throughout the day. And we kind of have these different compartments. And we, and we talk a lot about avoiding conflicts of interest and, and we got, we got to keep these things totally distinct. Right. But like you're saying, the, the biblical picture is that, uh, that, that vocation of being, a child of God is a constant thing, and and as a part of that, the vocation of being in the being a clergyman is a, is a one hundred percent twenty four seven thing. There is no like, yeah. well, he's he's you know, I, I'm going to say this just as a just as a dad, and not as a pastor right now. Like, well, right. like I, I, I mean, I, I get I get the point. Like, you're you're trying to kind of emphasize one vocation over the other, perhaps. But there's kind of no disentangling it, and I think that's just in the imagery here that they are sure. devoted. The, the, the just as the garments, right? The garments are interestingly they have the blood put on them too, right? These nice, mm -hmm. beautiful garments <laughs> that they put made put all this effort into keeping clean. They just put blood on it, right? Because it, it's devoted to God, and I think that's the image when it gets put onto the sides of the altar. It's like, hey guys, we're not actually going to sacrifice Aaron and his sons on the altar. But that's kind of what's happening right now. See the blood that's on them and all this stuff? That's the same blood we're putting on the altar over here. This is what Paul is talking about, is offering your, your <laughs> whole self as a living sacrifice to God. That means wholly and completely and all the time. Yeah, it's, it's to use a term that probably is a little bit hard for some people to grasp. It's a condition we live in, not a position we hold. Yeah, um, yeah. And to realize that uh, I normally when I have this discussion with confirmation class students or or in a, in a general Bible class setting, I'll, I'll talk about blood type. 
because yeah. you are born with a blood type. And yes. no matter what you do in life, you can't change the blood type. Well, what happens right. when God calls us into his family through Jesus Christ is he gives us a new nature. And, and that nature is ours because of the gift of the Holy Spirit bringing us to faith. And it's ours all the time. You can't put it off and put it back on again. Um, well, and that, and that know, gets back try, to, to Paul's... To you, yeah. yeah, 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 no, no, that's right. No, it's it's a part of you. It's your new life, right? If you were to try to remove it, like you were saying, you'd be, I mean, killing yourself at that point. Um, this is like what right. Paul talks about, being in Christ, that baptism language that, I mean, in some ways, um, it, it's so much a part of our new nature it doesn't even stop when we die right i mean because i mean that's what we affirm in our in our in our funeral liturgy that you know we we put that that paul over the over the casket because even when somebody dies they're still in christ right this is the idea that (laughs) in, in christ we just we just cannot be separated from him because i mean here you know like the blood is put on them and the blood's put on all the altar saying hey look they're being offered to god but you know, with yes. with uh, with the way that the New Testament works with this imagery, right? It's not simply that this blood of the bull is put on their robes, but their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And it's not simply that the blood of the bull goes on them, but the blood of Christ goes on us. And so, I mean, that really is something that um, if Christ's own blood is what's going on us, how that totally is a, is a radical kind of devotion here that gets to the seven-day period that you were talking about, that, that we are in the high priest— Right. Mm-hmm. We have this this connection with the one who says that he will meet us and speak with us. And he does that through the high priest at the tent of meeting, if you want to call it that, here in the Old Covenant. But in this New Testament, we have the one who says, destroy this temple, three days I will build it again. So we now have a permanent speaker to us. It's the Son of God, and as His people, we continue to speak His word for and to others. A- a- amen. And uh, like that seven-day period, like you were saying, in, in Christ and baptism, that eighth-day creation, we are all consecrated into that high priest, our Lord Jesus. So thank you so much, brother. Uh, looking forward to having you, you on again soon. Everybody, that was Pastor Stephen Tice from Frona, Missouri, going on down to Georgia tomorrow with Pastor George Murdaugh, Exodus 30. Till next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.